Good morning, welcome. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here. Um, We're going to be starting a new series today, looking for three weeks um, at what is the church. And um, we're going to start, we're going to, each week we're going to look at a different picture that the New Testament writers that give us something of a picture of what is the church, what does it look like, how does it function, how does it operate. Um, And we're going to look at the first picture in Ephesians chapter 2. You want to turn to page 1074 in the church Bibles, 1074. Now, if, I don't know, if some of you are Christians here, and you may be familiar with Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 starts with um, these wonderful promises, wonderful description of, of the Christian life, of what has happened to the Christian, of, of the salvation that they have received. It describes how you were dead and you've been made alive in Christ. It talks about Christ showing great kindness in uh, demonstrating his grace, in rescuing those who are walking away from God and bringing them into his family, that they might spend eternity with God. These are great truths. But most of us would stop at at verse 10. The first part of Ephesians chapter 2, wonderful passage, talks all about what Christ has done for us as individuals. But actually, I want to talk about the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. I want to say if you stop at verse 10, you've kind of uh, only got half of the story. So let me read to you um, from verse 11 to 19, which really describes uh, the way the gospel, the way that we have been brought into and formed into a new community, a new humanity, how we've been reconciled to one another. So let me read verse 11 to 19. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that's anyone who's not Jewish, by what is called the circumcision, i.e. the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated from the people of God, and strangers to covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that the gospel doesn't just um, mean that we are united with you, that we've been reconciled to you. Thank you that it also means that we've been reconciled to each other. Would you help us to unpack, to open up, to understand what it means to be reconciled to each other? Would you help us to understand and to see the beauty of your church, to see the new community, the new humanity that you've formed us into? Would you help us to deal with our cynicism, to deal with our individualism? Would you help us to, to grow and to build, be built up into the body of Christ, to build up into the people that you intend us to be? Amen. Amen. Now today, what I'm speaking to actually speaks to the reality of 
prejudice and division in the world that we are part of. What do I mean by this? Well, this probably first became really apparent to me when I was about 16. Some of you know I'm from a Jewish background, and I really love history. And so one summer holiday, I just spent some time really immersing myself in the Holocaust and understanding and reading various different books um, and reading a bit of a history of the Holocaust. And I found myself just becoming increasingly frustrated and angry and, and really almost at a loss when I started to get a window into what I felt at the time was just a sense of the inhumanity and the potential for evil in humankind. I wasn't a Christian then, but in a sense, I needed no convincing of the reality of sin, that human beings um, are flawed. Uh, We might use modern language like human beings are, are broken. Many of us, many of you will have grown up and will have experienced something of the Uh, different forms of prejudice and will bear some of the scars of prejudice yourself. Maybe times when you felt made to be feel like an outsider because of your race or because of your class or because of your cultural background. Even if you've not had this, uh, if this is not your own personal experience, uh, many of us are painfully aware, and perhaps more than ever at the moment, that we live in an increasingly fractured world. Look, just consider our online dialogue, the way that there's just so much anger and alienation on social media. You can see this in our politics, the rise of identity politics, of, of a kind of uh, fracturing around different identities, or the rise of a kind of authoritarian nationalism which uh, wants to reject the outsider. Some of the, the scenes that we saw in the US not too long ago, the last couple of weeks. We've seen intractable conflict between different groups, parts of the world like Israel and Palestine or Northern Ireland, Protestants and Catholics, all sorts of uh, conflicts that just feel like they can't really be resolved. Here in London, you might feel like it kind of, it feels okay, but actually often under the surface, there's a kind of culture of mutual suspicion uh, going on between different ethnic and cultural groups. We live in a divided world And our secular culture is crying out for an answer, for someone or something that will bring unity, will bring a sense of healing to our divisions. If you told me as a 16-year-old boy that the answer was in the Christian faith, was in the gospel, was in the, the vision of the church, I think I would have been surprised. And yet that's exactly what Paul is claiming here. Paul is, is giving us a picture that, that Christ's work on the cross was not just about reconciling man to God, but also flows out into a reconciliation of all those who uh, submit to the name of Christ. He, he's building a, drawing us a picture of the church as a kind of new society, a new society where there's no hatred, no rejection, uh, no prejudice, um, where, where we're reconciled to each other where a new nation is formed. Christians receive a new citizenship, a new communal identity. No longer strangers and aliens, no longer strangers to each other, sorry, no longer strangers to God, but neither are they strangers to each other. As we believe in Christ, we're adopted into a family and become insiders. I want to unpack that for you this morning. But why, do I, why is it so important that we look at this? I want to give you a few reasons. The first of which, I think, often um, some of you will have come with a certain level of cynicism about the church. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you're looking at it from the outside and you say, the church, my experience or what I observe of it, it feels like it's the exact opposite of what you describe. It feels like it's a place of hypocrisy, perhaps of abuse, of prejudice. 
Um, and so you find it hard to believe that the church could be this kind of beautiful new society. Well, I'll be the first to say that the church has often failed to live up to this vision, but I want to show you the beautiful vision that God has for the church. Second of all, I think some of us are approaching the whole idea of church from a very individualistic perspective. We live in an individualistic culture, an individualistic age. Just think about the way we uh, consume entertainment or information or, or, you know, in the kind of olden days, uh, you might have had a family kind of gathered around the hearth, uh, the fire, you know, the, kind of the, the communal vision of family. Then maybe kind of 20th century, you might imagine them all gathered around the TV together, watching the TV in the evening. And now everyone's on their phones, in, receiving, you know, how many of you have sat in a room with someone else watching, a video, watching your phone separately, like both watching uh, different forms of entertainment? Like we live in an individualistic age. And that sometimes then percolates out into our faith, that we kind of think through the lens of my personal walk with God. Um, what, what it means is we can sometimes treat church like a consumer experience. Like we come to church maybe to be stretched with our minds, to learn more about God, to be kind of enthralled with our hearts, to be enthused in worship. But then we go again. It's like something that just kind of gives us a bit of a spiritual top up. If that's your vision of church, then I want to suggest to you that you're missing something really beautiful here. The vision, the picture of the New Testament church, the community, is much greater than just a kind of spiritual top-up. It's a new humanity, a new family that you have been grafted into. So some of you, gospel is too individualistic. And finally, I want to address this because I want, in a way, this to be something of a, a forming and shaping message for us as a community. Many of us would call Grace London our church, and I want us to listen and to look at Paul's vision of the church and to say, ask ourselves the hard question, where does this, where does this not match up to our lives? And how can we together uh, live out this vision as a family? So there are three big ideas that I want to open up for you. First is the end to hostility. Second is a new humanity. And the third is no outsiders. So first of all, an end to hostility. See, Paul begins this passage by describing a kind of hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile. You would have seen it. He describes at uh, one time the Gentiles, you in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, anyone who's not Jewish, uh, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews. Remember that you, at that time, separated from Christ. He's saying to you who are Gentiles, you who aren't Jewish, you were, you were far away from God. But more than that, you were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Talking about you were separated from the people of God. Later on, he uses this word hostility a couple of times. And this word hostility, um, in other translations, is enmity. Really, kind of think about the word hatred saying, look, there was, in verse uh, 14, he describes a dividing wall of hostility. He's not talking about uh, just the hostility that exists between a sinful man who would turn his back on God. No, he's talking about hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile. Actually, uh, some commentators would suggest he's talking about that kind of wall that existed that separated uh, the Gentiles from the temple. You know, you would have seen in the book of Acts that Paul at one point, uh, that the Jews are outraged. They think maybe Paul has taken a Gentile into the temple. But there was a, literally a wall that would have said, like, basically Gentiles can't go any further. They're allowed in the outside to outer temple, but they can't go anymore. There was literally a wall that divided them. He's describing this hostility, but what is the the root of that hostility. Why does that hostility exist? Well, you'll see the answer in the way that Christ has destroyed that hostility. In verse 15, he says, by abolishing, so he says, 
uh, verse 14, sorry. For he himself, Christ is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, literally with his own body, Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. So Christ, by abolishing the law, has made it possible that Jew and Gentile are together. So he's saying, look, the source of this division is the law. Now, you might think, well, hang on a minute. I thought the law was a gift from God. How is the law the means the which the, the Jews and the Gentiles, everyone who's not Jewish, are divided? Well, the answer is actually um, really that actually the law was a gift. The law was a gift to the Jewish people, a way that they would be sanctified, the way that they would become the holy people of God, that such that as they become the holy people of God, they display the holiness of God to the other nations. To the, so it was a means by which actually of God reaching the nations. It was never meant to be a kind of introverted uh, thing, a source of division. Actually, it was a means by which they would become the people they were meant to be and shine out, reflect God to the awaiting and broken world. But that's precisely the opposite of what happens. What you see is actually the law, it becomes a means by which the Jews feel superior to the Gentiles. Actually, the law becomes a means of superiority. That's why uh, even in verse 11, you can kind of hear it when he says, uh, you who are described as the uncircumcision. You can kind of imagine the Jews being like, huh, the uncircumcision. Like there's a kind of sense of superiority going on in that description. You see that attitude elsewhere in the New Testament that sometimes uh, Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, are described as dogs or pigs. But actually, you need to zoom out from this for a moment and see that this is actually just a case study in the heart of man. This is a common pattern. You see, what happens and what's happening here and what happens all over the place is we, the way that we're different, we all have differences from each other, we take those differences and those differences become a way of us feeling superior to other people. Think about the way they, these differences are the way that we then seek to differentiate ourselves from others, seek to justify our own existence, to look down on them because they're not like us. Think about the, the, the religious teacher in Luke 18 who goes to the temple. What's his prayer? He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I'm not like one of, the, one of those people. One of those people. You've all been in settings where people talk about those people. Brexiteers and Remainers, middle class versus working class, black versus white. There are all sorts of ways that we're different as human beings, but instead of celebrating those differences, it's part of human nature to use those differences to divide us, to feel superior, to justify ourselves. The human potential for self-justification is profound. And I think about as a new parent, it's so easy to um, end up judging other parents or have, feel that temptation. You know, yeah, those who are more disciplined than you, you think, oh, they're really harsh and disciplinarian. Those who are less disciplined than you, you think, oh, they're just reckless and their children can do anything. The, only, the real mark of what's good parenting is me. We've only been doing this for 13 months, but we, we're, we've become experts. 
Or some of you are revising for exams and you think, oh, you know, that guy over there, he's working harder than me. Oh, he's obsessed. He's got an idol- probably he's got an idolatry problem. He's, he really cares about his success. And that person over there is working a little bit less hard than me. Oh, well, they're lazy. You know, we become the marker of what is right. That is the human heart, ladies and gentlemen. You may not be a Jewish uh, religious man looking at those uncircumcision over there, but actually we all do this. Actually, this is the root of this kind of prejudice. But what is really interesting is that Christ has come to put an end to this kind of hostility, this kind of prejudice. In verse 16, Paul describes Christ's mission as, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Putting that hostility to death. He's talking about that hostility that exists between man and God, the way that humans turn their back on God and reject him. And there's such a gulf emerges between man and God. But he's also talking about that hostility between humanity. So how does he do that? How does Christ destroy that hostility? Well, really, this is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is the great leveler. The gospel says you are all outsiders. You are all far off from God. You are all without hope in the world. You are morally bankrupt. You are dead. The gospel is a a great cannonball to our pride, to the, the, the way we might seek to puff ourselves up and think we're better than others. The gospel presupposes that you recognize that you are broken, that you are Uh, have all sorts of problems. What happens when you understand the gospel, when you really get that, there's no room to look down on others. One preacher put it wonderfully. He said, when when you're kneeling before the cross, when you're kneeling before the cross, I probably don't need to kneel. That's just everyone else standing. When you're kneeling before the cross, you can't look down on other people anymore. I thought that was brilliant. When you're kneeling before the cross, you can't look down on other people anymore. So what he's saying is, as we understand who we are, our our brokenness effectively, we we recognize, the, the church becomes a humble community of people who are kneeling before the cross together, who can't look down on each other because they're all kneeling. They're all recognizing their own need for Christ. They come to a place of humble unity, and actually then they start to want to, to celebrate the gifts of others because they're not trying to prove themselves anymore. So what does this mean in practice? Well, the first implication of this is we celebrate gospel diversity. The church is a community that celebrates that Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, not just between Jews and Gentiles, but between all people everywhere under Christ. It means that the church is a place where there's no prejudice, no hostility, No unconscious or conscious rejection of others because of the differences that are so true about us. Between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between male and female, no prejudice or hostility should exist in the body of Christ. It means we celebrate and pursue gospel diversity. We love the fact that the, gospel, uh, the, the church is a gathering of all people from different backgrounds and cultures and ethnic groups. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just that we're trying to fit in with culture here that recognizes, that pays lip service to this idea at least. Actually, this is a gospel priority. Actually, you see this. When you start to, to see this, you see that the early church fought to make this a reality. You'll be familiar, some of you, with the, the letter from Paul to the Galatians. 
And Paul describes going to, uh, I think it's going to Jerusalem, and seeing Peter. And Peter's a Jewish man, and he is withdrawn from um, eating with the Gentiles. Why? Because he's worried what the other Jews will think, what the circumcision party will think. So he, he doesn't eat with the Gentiles. And what does Paul tell him? He says, what Peter's doing was not in step with the truth of the gospel was not in step with the truth of the gospel. By withdrawing from these people who are different from him, Peter was undermining the gospel that, that, that they were preaching. Actually, to, to create some kind of dividing wall of hostility in the church is to kind of undermine the gospel that we preach. And of course, diversity will sometimes feel difficult. It's easier to relate to people who are like you. It requires us to take the time to listen to each other, to have the humility to, to want to, to say, look, we're different. I want to understand your experience. Tell me more about what it means to be you. But as we do this, as we take, sometimes take the, the painful work of, of growing together as a body of all people from different backgrounds and cultures, actually we point to a future new creation reality. You remember, this is an idea that hopefully will stick with us over the next few weeks. The church is intended to be a show home to the new creation. What do I mean by show home? Sometimes a developer will build a block of flats and they'll do one flat first as a way that you can go and see what it's like to live in that place. You say, oh, go and try that. Look at that flat because you know what it's the rest of the, the development's going to be like. The church is meant to be that shop window, that show home into the new creation reality, the time when Christ is reigning on the earth and all people who follow him and obey him have, uh, have been reconciled under his authority. And Revelation 7, 9 to 10 gives just a glimpse of this. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, that day, one day, all people from every nation will stand before an equal dignity before worshipping the Lamb of God. This is the picture. This is the, the new creation reality that we proclaim to a broken world that is riven by division. So actually, it will not always be this way. For those who submit to Christ and enter into his family forever, they will dwell in a place of, of unity and beautiful diversity and, and worship of the Lamb of God. That is the, that is the future that we are headed to. And today, as a church, we get to live that out as a reality between us. We get to point to that. So as the church grows in diversity, as there's no hostility between us, actually, we point to that wonderful new creation reality. So we celebrate and pursue gospel diversity. We love that people from so many different cultures are part of Grace London. But it's not enough just to be in the same room together. Think about that uh, instruction in John's gospel. By this they will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's not enough just to, oh, look, we're all, all from different backgrounds, we're all worshipping together. That's not quite the picture that I'm talking about. I want to go a bit further and say, actually, it involves love. It involves laying your life down. It involves being in deep relationship together. It means our relationships should not in any way, our personal relationships should not be defined in any way by this kind of hostility that we have maybe experienced or observed in the world. I think this means we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Are there ways in which our relationships um, have a, reflect a kind of underlying prejudice or just a pride about, about who we are and, and, and who we, where we come from? 
Are there ways in which you subtly think that you or your background or your ethnic group or whatever are better than other people? Do you avoid people who are different to you? Do you unconsciously or consciously shun or withdraw from people who are different? I'll give you a trite example. As you know, we're quite a young congregation. Sometimes I see someone who's a bit older come into the church, and I often think they get less of a a good welcome than everybody else. Young person comes in, they're flooded with, 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 with hug, well, not hugs, but, you know, a, a warm metaphorical embrace. Um, but, but often, sometimes I see an older person come in and, and people are just a little bit shy. And I think it's really interesting. It shows that actually often we unconsciously withdraw from people who are different to us. And actually the gospel says that's precisely the opposite. There's a danger as we grow as a church that we would withdraw into little cliques of people who come from the same background and culture. And that is the opposite of what Paul's saying here. That would go directly contrary to this vision of, one, of, of the end of hostility and one new man in Christ. But it's not just that we've seen the end of their hostility. It's that Christ is building them into a new people. Which brings me on to my second point. New humanity. In verse 15, Paul goes on to describe the result of Christ's work as creating one new man in place of two. Perhaps better translated, new humanity. They're no longer divided, but it's more than that. Actually, he's created them. Christ has grafted us in to become one new people. In verse 19, he extends the picture. He describes them as fellow citizens with each other. More than that, members of the same household. Well, household, if you kind of picture the the, the Greco-Roman picture here, household is really family. So you've been drawn into one family. But you've got to kind of think of like a nation or a clan, you know, kind of a Scottish clan where they're all kind of vaguely related to each other. But it's kind of an extent. It's not just a nuclear family. It's a, a wider group of people than that. But there's a deep sense of loyalty and belonging. Sometimes you, if you've kind of grown up in a Western culture, that... That may feel a bit alien to you, but some of you, some others, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm describing here. What I'm saying is that being part of the church is much more than being part of a, a hobby or a club. You know, if you go to a tennis club or a chess club, you might share that thing in common. Actually, it's much more like being of the same uh, cultural or ethnic background as someone else. That actually, when you come into the church, you've been formed into a people who are actually have many, many connections in common. And actually, this picture should transform the way we see church. First of all, I think it should give us a new sense of loyalty and solidarity to each other. What you're saying is when you come into church, this is your tribe. This is your people. Whether you, when you're at work, when you're at college, when you're all sorts of different places in London, you'll be with people with different worldviews, different beliefs, different goals, different motivations. But when you're at church, when you're amongst your brothers and sisters, you're home. You're with your family. You're with people who understand you, who get you, because they have the same heart and mind, the same motivations, the same desires. Their worldview is shaped in the same way. So that's why we say when you come to church, you say, welcome home. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, you're, you're part of the family. It means they get you. It means we have more in common than separates us. Of course, we'll still have differences. We don't deny that. But those differences won't define us. This is why Paul is able to say in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not denying the reality of gender. He's not saying it's some sort of social construct and everyone now, if you're a Christian, is no longer male or female. He's not saying you should deny your ethnicity or your background. 
He's not saying, you know, you're not a Jew anymore, you're not a Greek or whatever. But he's saying that your identity in Christ is more significant than any of those things. And that actually you should have more in common with a fellow brother or sister, a Christ follower, than someone who comes from exactly the same background, who went to the same school, who's from the same ethnicity as you. Actually, we have more in common together. One writer described this as a kind of reshuffling of the cards in your identity pack. We'll all have uh, different ways that we describe ourselves, different identities that we'll take on, which are formed from our backgrounds, where our parents are from, uh, the job we do. Um, But the card at the top of the pack, the thing that is most significant about you is your identity in Christ. I I felt this profoundly when about a year and a half after I became a Christian, I went and spent a week in a ministry called Battelle. And it's uh, in Spain. It's in the UK as well now, lots of other European countries. And um, it's a a ministry to former drug addicts. They're all, uh, and so they're living in houses, uh, a house of guys who have all at some time been heroin addicts and are now many of whom have come to faith and have been absolutely transformed by Christ. Honestly, you'd be there, you'd be like, shocked you were i love the story they all have what they call happy bellies because if you're on heroin you your appetite goes down you lose a lot of weight and as they've come off heroin come to christ had their lives transformed they've grown happy bellies i could fit in anyway i had my happy belly that was 10 years ago um, anyway, um <laughs> the um my my point is the um It was beautiful. On a beautiful scene, these guys transformed. But what was even more profound was the way they welcomed us as family, that we were able to share our stories with them. They were able to share their stories with us. And there was a sense of profound unity. Here we were, a bunch of college students with totally different backgrounds. And yet together for that week, we were living as one family. And it was just such a profound uh, picture of this unity. We want this church to be that picture of unity. We want someone to come in and to look at it and say, they see the banker laughing with the ex-con or the um, you know, anti-racism campaigner uh, being friends with a former BNP uh, supporter or whatever. You know, they want people to come in and to see that kind of diversity and to say, I want them to ask the question, how is this possible? How is this possible that you guys are friends? And the answer we will give is because Christ has made us into a new people. It's because of the work of the Spirit, because of the new identity we've received, and because the gospel is powerful, powerful enough to do that. It is a testimony to Christ's reconciling power that, that we can be that family, that diverse family. It means that the church is not just an institution that you attend. It means it's a community you're part of. It means you cannot really live the full New Testament reality just by coming to church on Sunday, hearing the word, singing together, and then ducking out at the end. Actually, there's much more to it than that. And we want to say, if you're just doing that, that's fine. Of course, there may be reasons for that. But we want to call you to much more than that. Say, come and be part of the actual community. It also means we have a new sense of responsibility for one another. You see, with the idea of family comes a sense of responsibility. Many of you will get that immediately. Some of you are saying, look, I'm already working hard on my career, so one day I can provide for my parents, or maybe even now contributing to them. It's wonderful. But I was speaking to someone recently, actually, who's um, saying, look, I actually really want to um, think about moving out of London. I want to move closer to my family. Why? Because I want to play my active part in my family. I I take seriously my responsibility to them, and I want to be with them. And that's kind of the attitude here that actually should be driving and colouring the way we relate to each other as a church. 
The idea that we've been brought into a new humanity together drives us towards that level of intentionality and responsibility for one another. This actually makes sense of why you see all these one another commands in the New Testament. We've got many different responsibilities. Those aren't just new, nice ideas. They're not just kind of like, if you think, feel, about, feel, feel like doing so. Actually, this is because we are a new humanity. We have a new family. We're a new nation. We have a responsibility to each other. We're like, we have a responsibility to help each other to grow in Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes, gives this picture of the body building itself up in love, speaking the truth in love to one another. Speaking the truth in love, building itself up in love. We have a stake in each other's growth. We're like a a series of long-distance runners who are running together and at times shouting to each other, encouraging each other, maybe at times having to put one in your shoulder and run for a little bit because they've got a stitch or whatever. I I don't have personal experience of this, uh, (laughs) as you can imagine. Um, But but there's that that picture of running together, of spurring one another on. What it says really at the very center of it is we're, we're fallible human beings. We're easy to wander off the path. Part of being in a community is we need each other to speak into our lives. We all have blind spots. Donnie Griggs, who came and spoke here a few months ago, has that reminded us of that military, I think it's a military slogan, uh, which they have on their wall in their church office. Lone rangers are dead rangers. Perhaps it kind of sounds weird, out of my mind. I'm not going to do an accent, American accent. But my point is, there's a sense to which if you try and do the Christian life on your own, you will wander off the path. You will fail at some point. It's possible for a while, but (coughs) we need each other. We need to be willing to challenge each other, to rebuke each other, to have the hard conversations with each other. That means that our relational life together can't be just superficial. You know, sometimes you've been in a church environment, you get there and someone says, how's your week? And that's fine. I've learned that small talk is necessary in life. But, but, But really, we want to go deeper than that. Like we want to actually know each other, to ask each other the hard questions, to be an, a kind of family-like relationship. I imagine most of your families, you don't just walk around to kind of talk around the weather. You're honest about what's going on. Some of you, British, British background, maybe. Um, so it requires our relationships to be deep, to be honest, and to be regular. You don't just build these deep relationships overnight. It doesn't happen by accident. You need to be intentional. It also means we have a responsibility to care for those in need amongst us. Just like in your family, if you had a, a family member who was struggling, who calamity hit their life, maybe a profound sickness, maybe uh, some catastrophe financially, most of you would want to help that person, would recognize, say, look, they're my brother, they're my sister, I've got to help them out. And that's a little bit of the New Testament picture. That's why we set up a care team at Grace, to stimulate this work. But actually, we want everyone to be doing this. We want to see it's all of our responsibility to care for those in need, to care for those who are suffering amongst us, struggling with mental health, sickness, financial hardship. We have responsibility for one another. That's why Galatians 6 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us care for everyone in the world and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The New Testament puts a special emphasis on caring for your brothers and sisters. Now, some of you are going to hear this and say, isn't this going a little bit far? You know, I thought I, I, I was coming here, I was going to be intellectually stretched or whatever, or maybe just amused briefly, and then I go on, my, go on my way. I want to say, if that's how you're feeling, then you're getting a small picture of this reality. 
if you're starting to feel a sense of responsibility, I want to argue that you can't remove this from what it means to be a Christian. In Mark, um, in Mark 10, Jesus is reminded by Peter that they've left everything to follow him. And this is his response to them. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying it's this, this, this new community is not an optional extra, not a, an adi- a possible addition if you're interested. Actually, this is, comes with salvation that you've been brought into a new family. You can't kind of switch it on and off. You know, they say you don't choose your family. Sometimes you have annoying family members. Sometimes that's difficult. I think the same is true in church. There are going to be people you don't always get on with, but they're your family. So we are a new group of people humbling ourselves before the cross, willing to lay down our lives for one another and with a new sense of loyalty and love for one another. I agree, this is, this is going to be hard. This vision is hard. But it's only the gospel that will enable us to do this. It's only the gospel that will enable us to pursue reconciliation when we rub each other up the wrong way, when we offend each other, when there are differences of opinion or backgrounds or whatever. The gospel... The recognition that we've been forgiven by Christ will lead us to forgive others. It's the gospel that will give us the strength that when we know that we have received from Christ his grace, his kindness, that we are rich in Christ, that means we're willing to sacrifice, to lay down the things that we count precious to ourselves, whether that's money or time or whatever, for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Only when we get the gospel, when we receive and know how much we've been received in Christ, can we love our brothers and sisters. But what about if you feel like an outsider? And I just want to close with this short point. No more outsiders. Some of you will will hear this and say, yeah, this sounds great, but when I come into church, I feel like an outsider. I know I'm a brother in Christ. I've read all of this. I I get that I'm, I'm included in the family, but I feel like an outsider maybe in this environment. See, Paul in verse 19 says, describes them as no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with Christ. What I'm saying is the gospel is inclusive. Now, some of you hear that and think, you know, when we hear someone say the gospel is inclusive, sometimes people use that as a way of legitimizing or uh, kind of saying, basically, you can do whatever you please as a Christian. You can live in any kind of lifestyle, and that's fine because the gospel is inclusive. That is not what I'm saying. The gospel is exclusive. It calls you to come and lay down your life, to follow Christ, to surrender your old life, and to receive the new life, and to walk in Christ. But we've sometimes, because of the way people have used that phrase, the gospel is inclusive, we have forgotten or undermined this amazing truth that the gospel is a profound welcome in. So we want to say, if you're an outsider, if you feel like an outsider for whatever reason coming into this church, we want to say, don't run away. Don't pull away. It's so easy when you feel like an outsider to want to withdraw, to say, these people are different from me and I'm not welcome here. And for whatever reason, I'm going to pull away. And I want to say that the gospel says you are welcome. You are invited in. Do not pull away. I was, we heard of a story very recently of a, a brother who, who felt like this for many months coming to Grace. He said, I feel like this just feels different. I feel like people are from different backgrounds from me. But it's amazing. He said, actually, after a few months, I started to spend time. My, like, basically, our hearts were knit together by Christ. That Actually, you start to see that you're not as different as you think you are. That actually, you are welcome here. 
Many of us have struggled with that sense of being an outsider, and it's the gospel that speaks profoundly to that. And I just want to say, if that's you, just push in, don't pull back, and I want you to experience that. But it also means that insiders push out. See, it's easy when you hear this picture of this community with no divisions, loving one another, laying down their lives for one another, walking in humble unity. It sounds, it could sound like a kind of introverted cult. It could sound like these people, they love each other, but they've just let the rest of the world over there and kind of ignore them. And that's a danger for every church, that they would become like that. Actually, what you have to hear in the gospel is this same message that would say to us, you are insiders, you are welcome, pushes us out into the world. Think about the the trajectory of Christ's ministry. See how the way he sought to show those who felt like outsiders that they could be insiders in the kingdom. Think about the way that he reclined at table with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious people are like, what are you doing? Don't, Don't you know they're outsiders? And Jesus, by his very presence, is showing them something very different, showing them a welcome. Think about the, the parable that Jesus tells of a banquet. And he says, a, a master invited people to a banquet. And one person said, sorry, I've just got married. I can't come to your banquet. I mean, what's that about? Surely you can still go to banquets when you're married. But anyway, so, some guys say, I've got a ba- I'm married. I can't come. Another guy, I've just bought a field. I've got to look after my field. Everyone's giving different excuses. Insiders, those who kind of think they've got it already. They're like, no, I don't need you, Jesus. But then what does he say? What does the master of the banquet say? It says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the, ser- the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. That, those are the marching orders for this, this wonderful, loving community that they are called to go out into the streets and the alleys and the, and the city and to say this same message that has welcomed us in, that says we are reconciled together, is a, a calling to the world to come in and receive and be reconciled to Christ. That we've got that same, the same force that draws us together pushes us outwards and that we have that same message of reconciliation we have been reconciled to be reconcilers to take that message of reconciliation to the world so whilst we pursue deep community together it's not at the expense of investing in our non-christian colleagues and our friends and our work in all sorts of different people and as we do that as we show the biblical value of hospitality that isn't just having your friends around that's showing kindness to strangers as we invite people into our lives as we invest deeply with those perhaps who are different to us actually we show them the gospel and of course we tell them the gospel as well that they have an invitation to be reconciled to the living god So we build a loving community, but that's never an exclusive community. I want to suggest that that just as a moment, as as we close, as we come to a close, I want us to marvel at the beauty of the body of Christ. I want us to marvel at the beauty of this vision that Paul's given us. That we are no longer strangers to the living God. Those of us who are Christians have been reconciled to the living God, but more than that, we've been reconciled to each other. The blood of Christ is Powerful enough to mean that those who are strangers to God can come into his family and together that we are washed clean, that we've been given a new humanity. We're not, no longer outsiders from different backgrounds. We're actually a new humanity together, united together. And there's no more dividing wall of hostility between us. And all of this points to that wonderful New Testament reality that every tribe and tongue will be worshipping the living God together in equal dignity. If you're not a Christian... I want you to hear that, in a sense, the message is saying you are an outsider if you're not a Christian. But there's always a, a call to come and be reconciled to Christ, 
to come and hear this invitation. It says, Christ stands at the door and knocks. Will you, come, will you let him in? Will you turn from outsider to insider? Will you receive his salvation? It starts with a recognition that he is Lord, with a recognition that you are morally bankrupt, that you cannot save yourself, and that you need him. You need his leadership in your life, that he is the ultimate, the right authority of your life. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you. But if you're a Christian, I would just encourage you to embrace this in all its fullness, to take up your new humanity, to reshuffle that deck, to know who you are in Christ is the first thing about you, to get rid of any hostility, any lingering prejudice, to pursue deep relationships with one another and to link arms and to embrace the fact that we have been made into one new family. Let me thank God for that. And then we're going to turn into a time of worship to celebrate the sacrifice at the center of this. Our first song together will be um, Nothing But The Blood as a picture of the blood that has made all of this possible. As we, celebrate, as we celebrate church, it was not just a nice idea. This has been made possible by the blood of Christ. Let me pray and thank God and then we'll worship. Lord, we want to thank you for your sacrifice for us. I want to thank you that your blood has been shed on our behalf, not just that we might receive individual salvation, but that we might be united together into this new humanity. We thank you that the dividing wall of hostility has come down, that we can say there are no, there's no longer, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, that we have all been united together in Christ. Thank you for this new unity that we've received. Thank you that we can call each other brothers and sisters. Thank you that we're not outsiders anymore, that we're insiders. Thank you that the gospel speaks to that sense of rejection and prejudice that some of us have experienced. Thank you that we, that you have included us and have even called us your brother. That you're our brother, Lord. We worship you. We give you thanks for this wonderful miracle. Would you help us to be the people that you've called us to be? Amen.